means i just hear people say that all the time say it again that sounded so professional we'll edit it in post i like it take care of it in post are you ready i'm ready all right welcome to the duke and duchess podcast i'm the duke i'm liz the duchess yes you are all right and here we are we are episode 12 Woohoo! it's a good round number i like it yep all right and so what are we going to talk about in episode 12 Uh, Episode 12, we are talking about chapters 6 through 10 of The Wise Man's Fear. Yep. And an excellent section of chapters it was. It was good. It was Next week, we're going to do chapters 11 through 19, which sounds like a lot of chapters, but it is only 55 pages. Gotcha. So you can do it, people. Don't freak out. Oh, you were talking to me. Yes, I was talking to you. You know one of the things I love about our podcast? What? We don't beat around the bush with all kinds of unnecessary chatter before we get into it. <laughs> you know, like this. I, I I just have a problem with introductions. I'm incredibly awkward. I think you do fine. Do you remember that time that we met that new friend and I actually curtsied? Like, <laughs> not in a cute way, in a weird, awkward way. And she looked at me like... Like, I literally extended my hand to her wrist up and bent my knees a little bit. I don't know. It wasn't appropriate <laughs> for the situation. It, it wasn't a cute story. It was so awkward. We were in the middle of Chick-fil-A. Oh, I don't remember and that. I, don't well, it happened. You were right there. I'm glad you blocked it out because I. that's one of those stories that I replay in my head as I'm trying to fall asleep every single night. See, that just doesn't sound over. unusual to me. <laughs> you've been living with me for 15 years says something about me i don't know (laughs) so you remember every every college has that one guy who runs around playing like a penny flute oh yeah Yeah, absolutely corduroy vest exactly yeah Mm -hmm. every every one of them yeah we 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 weren't that bad so that's all that's all you gotta okay (laughs) you know just gotta have that one guy that's true. That's All right. True. So anyway, anyway, so we're the Duke, we're Chad and Liz. We're awkward at introductions. Just just bear with us. We're talking about the book now. Yeah, we are. Spoiler policy. Yes, you do please. That? Thank you. I appreciate that. So spoiler policy is very simply that we will not spoil anything through chapter 10 of The Wise Man's Fear. We are in a situation where Liz has read these books many, many, many times. I have never read these books, so we will talk about past events for The Name of the Wind and everything leading up to this, but nothing beyond this point, including the novellas. So, Correct. Spoiler policy. Spoiled. So, can we talk about the book now? Yes. We I can talk about it. I'm so excited. I did. I've had such a hard time not reading over your shoulder all week. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, I don't know that people get the dynamic here that like one of the things that's weird about this podcast is that this is the time that we can find and set aside and compartmentalize to talk about this stuff, which is good and it's fun and we love it. But what it also means is that throughout the week, we're like persona non grata as far as you know as far as talking about the books and the literature go it's like no 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 don't 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 save it for monday yes don't spoil the podcast the (laughs) reactions have to be fresh so i've been (laughs) you know we're laying there i can tell you're reading i'm pretending i'm asleep but i have one eye open to see what page you're on you know it's a dance we do it's completely normal i think everybody can relate to that So now, tell me, tell me what you thought of this section of chapters. Well, let's kind of go over, in a general uh, plot-wise, what happened this section. All right, you want me to give a 30-second 30, 30 spin, or do you yeah, have it? go for it. All right, I'm going to see if I can do this in 30 seconds. Okay. So, what happens is that we start out when Quoth steps onto the stage at the Aeolian, he plays a very uh, music nerd performance uh, at the Aeolian, rakes in the dough, and then uh, goes to breakfast at Anchors, has his femme fatale film noir moment where some strange woman walks in, 
poisons him or drugs him rather he becomes a maniac with zero inhibitions uh simmons uh, comes to the rescue and saves him uh at not but not after he identifies that ambrose is the one who did it um and then he has a huge emotional hangover eventually wakes makes his way uh has a run-in with elodin and heme and then makes his way into the um admissions process where he does eh, okay uh and then he spends some really really boring time with denna before he finally goes and borrows some money from debbie that was excellent. Well done. Thank you. Really well done. I'm glad you also thought the scene with Dana was boring because I'm I'm starting to worry that I'm just really biased in that. But that it, one was kind of particularly boring. It was okay. I mean, it. it you know, I I looked back on it and, and we'll get. I mean, we'll get. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Yeah, right. But it wasn't terrible. This section of chapters and like this this part of the book and and then you know what we're reading in the next couple of weeks is probably my favorite. I mean, I don't know. I, I could say this later in the book as well. But my favorite part of either of the books, the part with the plum bob, I never get tired of reading that chapter. Yeah. Um, was hilarious. It was. It was very um, good, yeah. It, it's where I definitely developed a character crush on Simmons. We talked about this. Uh, he's my character husband. Um <laughs> I have a thing for the nice guys that everyone underestimates. So, and I feel like this is the section where he really stops being just like the token white friend and he's, he becomes a character in his own right. Yeah. I I have to say it's been interesting to me because you keep talking about how much you love, you know, Simmons and Will and, and and my impression has been, I mean, they're, they're okay, you know, but that's kind of been my impression. Not that, that I feel like when, when they're all together, it sets a certain mood that, I, I think is very well written and very reminiscent of, like you said, the sort of that college buddy experience, your first set of friends that are, you know, you're, they're so important to you. They're almost like family. Um, you know, you live with these people, you spend so much time with them, they become hugely important to you. And I get that vibe, but I didn't necessarily feel like the characters were all that well fleshed out. But now you're starting to see, particularly Simmons, I really didn't feel like, I mean, he was just kind of along for the ride. Right. But in this section, it's very different and he he gets you know a chance to kind of get a little bit of spotlight on a minute and he does get some development and so it was really good and that's interesting because yeah i do think my perceptions of these characters are definitely colored by what i read in this book and i didn't even really realize that when we would be talking you know in in the previous book and i would get excited about certain characters so so anyway uh so chapter six is called love you didn't ask me what i felt about it I, I did. Mean, it's okay. I did. Yeah, I thought I did. did. You didn't give me a chance to reply. <laughs> well, I just assumed that you loved it because it was awesome, but no, please. Yeah, absolutely. I want to know what you, th- what you um, think. No, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I mean, I don't know if it's been my favorite section so far, but it's up there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm a big sucker for uh, the kind of story within the story part. So right. when, when we were like listening to Scarpy and we were listening to Trappist and we were doing all that stuff in the very beginning of the book. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, it's hard to say whether or not I like this section better or like those early, early 20 or so chapters of the book better. I don't, of uh, Name of the Wind, rather. But but I did enjoy it quite a, li- quite a bit. It's, it's definitely up there, and I, I thought it was fun. Yeah. One of my favorite parts is in Chapter 6, the joke that Simmons makes. But we'll, we'll talk first about what, what leads up to that. Um, yeah, so Quoth... I mean, he puts on a show. Right. He he shows his ass in this in this little section. Right. You know, and I don't want to come across uh, and and say that say it from a negative standpoint because I feel like that's probably something. If I had that degree of talent, I would probably <laughs> I'd probably do it too. Right. You know, but what he does is he goes up and he plays. He kind of plays a joke on the passive music fans at the Aeolian, mm-hmm. and he he goes up there and he very theatrically plays this very simple song as though it you know was the biggest feat he's ever accomplished and then he follows it up by playing a piece of music which is immensely complex and then 
pretends to fall asleep throughout the process because he's you know he's played the song so many thousands of times that he doesn't have to have to think about it anymore and for the musicians at the aeolian it was just a riot but for everybody else at the aeolian they felt like the joke was on them and that's where simmons begets his first kind of moment in the spotlight when everybody's you know when he has to kind of come back to the table quote that is and explain why the reaction is so mixed and stanchion you know says this guy this musician's too clever for his own good and explains what's going on and then simmons says <laughs> he says he played a joke on a lute he played it on, on the lute on the lute <laughs> and then he gets the kind uh, of reaction it's my from kind his of joke isn't it it's just <laughs> he, my kind of joke and he gets the reaction from his friends that you would expect and they all just sort of look at him and then go back to doing whatever they were doing right and i i really like um you know how the loot is a metaphor and how that's kind of brought to light here um you know the chapter is called love and right away it, it opens up with both talking about love and comparing um the love of poets for women and of oh i can't remember what the other one was but then he says like all of that love is is crap compared to a love of a trooper for his music, you know, and he calls his lute his tangible soul. And I wrote this quote down. Both is talking about his lute and he says it had been treated unkindly in the past, but that didn't make it any less lovely underneath. And I feel like Quoth's lute is also it's kind of his self-worth. Well, quotes Luth lute is, in my opinion, clearly a symbol for his love of Denna. That too, yeah. yeah. I, I think it symbolizes that as well. But I think yeah. it also, for me, symbolizes his his self love, his yeah. self care. You know, and and he wouldn't take care of. You know, when he when he finally got the loot, and he talked about he would he wouldn't mind sleeping outside, but his loot deserved better. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep. his loot is the part of himself that that he cherishes the most. Yeah, absolutely. There was one thing about the loot that I wanted to bring up, though. And this is just like a tiny little nitpicky thing. Mm -hmm. And I meant to go back in the last book in like chapter, I think it's like 83 or 84 of the last book when he actually buys a loot. And he talks about how he spent, I think it was 10 talents or something like that mm -hmm. for what he said was an exceptionally fine loot. Mm -hmm. But then we get in the, the beginning of this book and he talks about, well, it doesn't stay in tune. The neck is bent like... I mean, you can have a lot of things wrong with it with a stringed instrument, but a bent neck, that's a huge problem. Like, that's a massive fundamental problem, you know? And so it was just sort of strange to me that he ended the book, the first book, talking about how he had this, you know, spent all this money on this nice loot instead of the, you know, the old Kmart version that he had, in, you know, before that Ambrose destroyed. And as soon as we get into the next one, now all of a sudden... Because it's convenient for his symbol that he wants to draw, it's kind of a shabby old thing. See, Maybe I, I misread it. Yeah, no, I, I, um, well, I think part of it comes with not quite getting, and I, I'm not even sure I get the money system. Yeah. So not having a a, a real world example of how much ten talents is. So they do in this chapter go on to talk about lutes because when they talk about how much he spent on it, his friends are astounded. But Manette tells them, hey, for a lute, that's actually not that much. Yeah. So and for me, what that him talking about the the, the peg that goes a tiny bit out of tune, the neck that's a little bit off more says um, more um, just shows you how exacting a musician quoth is. So it's it's a difference of being, you know, a Stradivarius violin versus a violin you get at Musicland versus a violin you get at Kmart for $10. Nice local music store reference. A plug oh. for Musicland. There you go. <laughs> they are a great local music store. They're a great store. local music store. One, they we are. have one of the best local music stores in the country. I we do. I, I, I completely think that. Yeah. But, um... But Which yeah, has nothing so, to do with the book. And I think that, um, you know, that's maybe why they have that whole conversation in there about the range of prices that you can pay for a loot. Mm -hmm, yeah. You know, it's kind of like a horse or in or shoes. our real world shoes <laughs> or a car. 
Yeah. Mm. You know? Um, so, yeah, his loot, it was very expensive for him. But for Ambrose, probably that was his pocket money that yeah. he handed over to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have probably spent eight times as much and gotten a spectacular loot. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, that's an admittedly nitpicky thing, but I just thought it was strange how, depending on the context, the description of the loot changed. But anyway, not I didn't think it was inconsistent, though. Maybe, and really for me to, to be able to answer that, I'd have to go back and reread those chapters and see. It may have simply been that he bought, he said, I bought a loot. No, he bought a much better loot than the one he had before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, what it comes down to is there's a wide range of prices for loots. Yep. He, he bought what was an extravagant loot for him, and that doesn't mean it was the most extravagant loot you could buy. No, no, agreed, yeah. The um, the other thing I liked about this chapter, the other thing I noticed, is after the whole situation where all the musicians come and they all buy him drinks, which he then proceeds to cash in on, Marie comes over and sort of pats him on the back, and they start to talking, and Minette stands up and says, I am enraptured by you. Can I buy you a drink? I would. I don't get to meet many women who have your, you know, brains. Can can we talk for a little? While? I mean, he and 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 the, you know, the guys smooth as fuck. And the guys I mean, are just, just like totally smooth. What the hell is this? <laughs> you know, they are dumbfounded by it. That was hilarious. And I like Marie had a, a particularly funny line where she says to Quoth, "If you weren't naturally charming, someone would have stabbed you by now." And he's just like, oh, (laughs) if you only knew how many times I've been stabbed. (laughs) Yeah. And then Minette says to to the boys, he says, hey, I know something you young pups don't. Right. That's just one more thing that I know that you don't. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot in this book about wisdom versus knowledge. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot about that. And it you know, and it's good that there is, because when you have a sixteen year old genius protagonist, you probably need to start fires with his mind. uh, Yeah. You probably need to talk a little bit about, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm hmm. You know, but the, the thing with Minette standing up and sort of saying what was on his mind and jumping on that opportunity and seizing it to me is just such a massive juxtaposition versus, you know, the whole Quoth and Denna thing. Like. Right. Uh, yeah, you, know. you have Quoth who is so naturally talented and so good at everything he does the pretty much the first time, but completely clueless. And just that he, just that he sits there paralyzed by indecision and, fear and won't take a chance you know and and the reason why he won't fess up to denna is entirely based on fear right you know and to patrick roth to p roth's credit he does a good job of showing that he absolutely does and again it's so consistent with his character that quoth needs to be in control of every interaction and so and he's unable to admit when he's not good at something mm-hmm. you know so if he if something's not going his way he he makes up an external reason for it so it can't just be that he doesn't know what he's doing with women it's that denna must not she can't possibly like me it can't be that i'm messing this up yeah exactly you know there's well, got to be some other reason well and he does the same thing with with Eleanor. right yeah. you know which is why i don't quite get the Mary Sue criticisms for Quoth. Nor do I. I mean, in some ways I do. I mean, I can see how you can, you know, on a pretty quick surface read, I can see how you do that. But you take a little bit of time, and I and I think we have the, or I should say I have the advantage because of the way I'm reading this for the first time. Most people don't take it apart in these little bites, sit on it, read through it twice, take notes. This is not the way most people normally read these books, right? So if I'm reading through this book the first time and I'm just plowing through it, Mm -hmm. I may not pick up on 
all those subtle things like the sour grapes moments that he has with Elodin and all these other scenarios. I may not pick up on it. Right. But it's in there, you know, and it's it's well written. And and again, the author does a good job of showing you all the ways in which this character who on the outside does look like a Mary Sue is really not a Mary Sue, you know. I absolutely agree with you. And um, not to mention all the stupid crap he does. Right. Yeah. I, I always I, I find his character very consistent throughout the book. And, you know, I certainly I mean, gosh, I've read this book at least four times and picked up things this time through just slowing down and taking notes that I can't believe I missed so many things. So it definitely does make a difference how you read the book and how deep you get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And I love that. I just I found this a clever bit of storytelling, this whole scene, um, having them bring Manette with them because he is able to, in the beginning of this new novel, reintroduce the Aeolian, reintroduce some of the concepts like the Soundin and without having to do an exposition dump where he kind of just, you know, explains things to you again in case you don't remember from the last book. But with this new character there, it's it's doesn't sound like a rehash. Yeah, it's it's the classic explain to Ensign Taggart why we have to do exactly <laughs> exactly. But yeah. Ensign Taggart is a you know inexplicably charming old Frenchman. He's not an old Frenchman. Apparently not. Manette's not Manet. We're not the only ones who call him Manet, but it is oh. it's Manette. It's Manette. All right. Uh, do you want to move on to chapter seven? Do we have? I do, but I also can we just talk about the joke where. Where he says, he, he buys the braid and beer. Yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, you know, Yiddish pregnant women drink it. And, oh. and they say, Sim and I don't mind that you're a pregnant Yiddish woman. <laughs> There's just so many good jokes the, in this chapter. This section is definitely the funniest section. It's funny. Of the book. I mean, that oh, I've read so far. And one other thing at the very end, um, he's walking past the archives on page 61 of my version of the oh, book. Oh, when he's on his way back. Yeah, yeah. Right. And he says, I picked up on this, that it reminded him of an enormous waystone. And we've been kind of mm, catching that. Yeah. Um, the importance of waystones. And anytime that there's a scene in a waystone, it seems to be a pivotal scene. So I thought that was significant. Yep, put a pin in it. Uh, the pin is there. Yep, absolutely. All right, so chapter seven. Admissions. The admissions, yes. I love how you always read, you always write that down and, and read the chapter titles. I don't even look at them. They're, they, they, they're significant, though. Yeah, but I always feel like they're little spoilers, so I don't, mm. so I don't look at them. That's true. Well, I'll just, I'll just keep of, that's fine reading them to you during the podcast. Exactly, yeah. I don't, I don't even I don't even read them. So here, here is where Quoth uh, um, after that evening uh, is at anchors, and he uh, let's see, he is getting ready to go to the admissions, but on his way, a stranger walks into anchors and you know proceeds to offer him to buy him a drink because he is the person who broke that brat Ambrose's arm. Right. Um, but, of course, she drugs him. And then he kind of runs into town, starts getting ready to go to admissions, doesn't pick up on the fact that he, that he doesn't pick up that he is acting strange himself. Right. You know, I kind of know it. I'm like, well, this is a little out of character, you know until he starts really opening his mouth and then it's like whoa this is weird you know and then ambrose shows up and he he says to ambrose you are the horse shit icing on the horse shit cake that is the admissions process <laughs> and it's mortifying this whole scene is so i broke out into hives a yeah, little and bit. it was so obvious yeah. that, that i mean it, it wasn't obvious um, you know at first but by the time ambrose shows up and walks right up to him with a smug look on his face. You know what has happened. Right. And you think about what would have happened if Ambrose hadn't showed up to gloat. Because yes. both would not have figured it out. No, I know. Yeah. And that thought also crossed my mind. That if he if he had just shut his mouth about the whole... Well, not only, not only does he potentially mitigate all the, the disaster, you know, and really stop it from becoming this colossal problem but he also identifies himself like he just can't help but right 
but be like, I got you. Right. Now, we don't know, and it doesn't seem as though Quoth will be able to turn that around, at least in the short term, because uh, he doesn't have any proof of it. But but, but he could have, you know, like, and he, I guess he still could, potentially. You know, he, you know, Ambrose could potentially be getting himself kicked out of the university. Well, you know, when you think about it in the past, that hasn't been their dynamic. Quoth has never, has not tried to rat Ambrose out. Generally, when he's done things, he tends to take matters into his own hands. And I think it's very telling that um, Quoth mentions that Ambrose, for once, shows up without his posse of hangers on. Hmm. And that he doesn't usually see him alone. I think that's significant. I think Ambrose showed up to gloat, but he didn't want anyone around to overhear what he was going to say. You know, Quoth had been talking to um, young female student Amlia and Ambrose sent her away. So he wanted to make sure that Quoth and only Quoth knew that he was responsible. Yeah, good point. And he was right in in assuming that Quoth was not going to go to the authorities on this one. Yeah. And he which didn't. he did not. Yep. But thankfully, Quoth realized that something was wrong and went to Simmons. And then we get to one of my favorite scenes in any of the books, in any book ever, actually. Oh, yeah. The scene in Simmons' bedroom <laughs> where Quoth is spitting on the floor. They have their whole ranking system. He slaps I mean, him. So, so there's just so much he good starts stuff. Off, yeah, he starts off knocking on the wrong door. <laughs> Simmons! Simmons, come to this door. It's not even the right door. You've yeah. got like some kick-ass character development that happens here. You see Simmons like come into his own and like stand up to Quoth. And show some value. Right. You know, actually be good for something other than witty banter. Right. And here's, you know, a friend that goes above and beyond. You know, he drops everything. Absolutely. And spends all day sitting with this guy. Uh, We've all been there babysitting the drunk friend. Exactly. You know, but he's just sitting there, just sits there and makes sure he doesn't do anything. Quoth took the brown acid. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got this kick-ass character development. You've got something interesting that they say about humanity. And I, I love this where he mentions, he talks about humor being rooted in social transgression. And that was yeah. one of my favorite parts where Simmons outside the door. He's got fella there. He's really afraid of what's going to happen when fella yeah, walks yeah. in that room. And Quoth is saying, I was trying to think of something funny to do while you were gone, but everything seems the same to me. Yeah. <laughs> and Simmons says, did you do something anyway? Yeah. <laughs> and then they walk in and he's not wearing a shirt. Yeah. And, uh, Which, you know, he... One of the things I love about the writing through this section is all the times that, because you're looking at it through Quoth's perspective, right? So he'll say, you know, like, he'll say something like, I'm going to kill that Ambrose, you know, and Simmons will say, why don't you put the knife away? Like, but there's no exposition to tell you that he took the knife out because in his mind, you know, he just does it. He doesn't think about it. It just happens. Same with the shirt. Yeah. You know? And I, I I made a note about the knife because um, I I think this this trick he had, um, what he describes having wearing, the way he describes wearing the knife is the same way that Denna talks about it mm-hmm. in the last book, keeping it inside his pants, strapped to his leg. He, he didn't do that in the last book. Yeah, good point. He just yeah. had his knife, I think, jangling around he, and uh, had like a paring knife. And he, so he took that from her, um, just very subtle, subtle little thing in there that I like. Yeah. And so, so Sim just rocks the whole encounter. He's great with him. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be your touchstone. I'm going to tell you. Killing Ambrose is a 10. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe an eight. Maybe an eight. Maybe seven. Or seven. Seven. (laughs) (laughs) And I loved, I don't know if you caught this, but. In the beginning of the first book, after one of the, the one of the travelers come through the inn and one of them recognizes Quoth and he pretends to twist his knee yeah. and he's going upstairs and he looks at Bast. He has very important information. He wants to get across. You caught this too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you did. It's yeah. so cool. He has important information he wants to get across to him and he says, Bast, I'm telling you three times. Listen three times. And he says, I hear you three times, Rashi. Yep. And so you it just sounds like something a fantasy character would say, something kind of formal, you know, mm-hmm. who knows. But then in this chapter, we find out that he gets this, he, that's the thing he says, he got it from Simmons. He got it from Simmons, yeah. Because Simmons says, I'm going to, this is going to get old if I have to tell you three times. 
every time I tell you to do something. Mm-hmm. And so then if it's very important, he just says, Quoth, I'm telling you three times. Do not do that. <laughs> and um, I just, oh, it just makes me geek out. It's so cool. It's good. It's good writing. It's clever. Yeah, this was a fun section. And then it gets more funner. More funner. It's more funner when Fela comes. Yeah. Be- because <laughs> so Quoth gets the, I mean, you know, they're like, well, I can't go to admissions or he wants to go to admissions. Right. And Simmons is like, no, that's ridiculous. Uh, but they get the good idea. Uh, Quoth does. He's not like, it hasn't turned his brain off this drug. He says, Fela will switch tokens with me. She's already offered. Right. You know, so we can we can make this work. And we talk about how how much Simmons drops what he's doing. Now, he's already been through admissions. Right. But how much he drops what he's doing to just take care of Quoth. And that's true. But what about Fela, who had to drop everything and go to admissions like three three days early? On a dime. On a dime. Right. You know she wasn't prepared right or at least not as prepared as she would have been you know and then having just witnessed all this she's going to be a little disheveled and out of sorts but she does that you know and that's yep. that's a big that's a big bullet to bite you know that's a big thing to do yeah and so both at this point is really building a solid group of friends and and all these secondary characters are really just getting new layers put onto them. And yeah, I really love it. And I and the part where at the end where Simmons is asking Fela if or asking Quoth if if he sees Fela naked, will he just throw her to the ground and ravish her? And he says, "No, I I can't Couldn't because yeah. I just can't. Like I can't eat a stone. I can't walk through a wall. I can't do that." And um, I thought that was just such a. Um, a way of showing his morality of revealing his character and but it was hilarious when he was like i will give you everything i have with the exception of my loot <laughs> look at you naked just, for two minutes just to look at you naked you know, like. <laughs> and then back yeah. on uh, page 74 uh, uh at least in my version um he talks about being back to his regular semi-moral self and so it's just interesting how he sees himself um, and the whole concept of morality, this character has his own morality. We definitely see shades of gray in him, but at the, at the core, he's he's a, a good person. Yeah, yeah, which is something we've gone over before, but yeah, that's absolutely true. But it, it it's not as though this drug just wears off and everything's okay. We have echoes of it all throughout the next couple chapters, but then also, you know, when he finally leaves Simmons and goes back to Anchor's, I mean, he has the the mother of all meltdowns. And we have to talk about this scene. We don't. I mean, no, we do. I, I've I've read this book. Well, now I've read this chapter so many times because I probably read it three or four times this week just in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. Every time, this scene made me cry, and not like cute, like not like <sighs> like I'm not like dabbing with my hanky. I'm mm-hmm. like. Like the first several times I read it, it was big, fat, ugly, like act two of Hamilton crying. (laughs) It was quiet uptown. It was quiet uptown crying. Yeah. Yeah, Like it just like the way Ori comes in, the way she says, you have a stone in your heart. She right away. She says, what's wrong? Nothing like that. She just says, I know you have a stone in your heart and it gets really heavy sometimes. And he then when he talks about his mother, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> and he says, I'll never see her again. I'm like, Wah. no, it's, a, I'm it's like, why did I read this book? <laughs> Ari sneaks in the window, opens up the tape deck, puts in the cures disintegration <laughs> side two. Right. It's play. <laughs> but yeah. I loved the foreshadowing that was back in chapter four, where um, they're just having both and Ori are having a little bit of banter back and forth. And he's he's talking about potatoes and he says they're a bit cold, I'm afraid. And she reaches up and touches him for like the first time and says, you don't have to be afraid. I'm here. Yeah. And then this scene, you know, rolls in on top of that and it just gives me goosebumps, you know? Yeah. It, um, it, it, it shows the development also their relationship as well, that that relationship is moving forward. It's interesting to me that like the whole plum Bob thing with his inhibitions being down is just conveniently a period of like four days where he doesn't see Denna, mm-hmm. you know, where you kind of wish somebody would have slipped him a little bit of a plum Bob when they were wandering through the woods in Traben. 
you know, and he would have just said what the hell he was actually thinking. Well, it's funny because one of the things that Simmons had to tell him three times was not to go look for Denna. Yeah. I thought that was, but I, I, I thought the same thing as well. Yeah. This whole, I love the theme of um, the, the waking mind versus the sleeping mind of instinct versus rationality. Yeah. You know, and, and when then we've talked about, you know, knowledge versus wisdom and it's just an interplay of all these different concepts. Of, yeah. And if you think about it, he was walking around almost Elodin like. Right. Yeah. You know, and we'll yep. see some of the ways in which Elodin behaves a lot like Quoth was behaving on Plumbob. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's his problem. Maybe it is his problem. Elodin might say, might say so. So there's a couple things about this, actually, that I wanted to bring up. Two, Ooh, two yeah. points. Okay. So the first is that I'm trying really hard not to be overly negative with Quoth for the whole situation with the lady who walks in the inn. Because when I look at it from an... When I try to put it in his perspective... It's hard for me to blame him for what happened. But from a reader's perspective, it's just so obvious that this woman's up to no good. You know, like... I I mean, that may be because from a reader's... and Did I cut you off? I'm sorry. No, no, no. From a reader's perspective, we don't see all of the dozens of people who buy both drinks every week, all the time. Fair point. You know, he is used to people buying his drinks for all kinds of reasons. You know what? And we just closed out a chapter where, I mean, literally dozens and dozens of people came up and bought him drinks. So, fair I, point. I mean, if you and I were like hanging out at the Applebee's and someone was like, can I buy you a drink? I'd be like, what the hell? Like, what? Can I buy you a drink with my wet gloves? With my wet gloves. I'd be like, mm, what? Well, and you know, you like, know, but that's just normal for him. Yeah. And like I said, lo- logically, I'm like, uh, no real reason to to blame him for this. You know, it wasn't in it wasn't like it was in the drink. Uh, it he's was drinking water. He's drinking you know? water. Exactly. It's not like she poured him a drink, you know, from yeah. a flask. Like, you know, it was the the drug was on the handle, which is not something anybody would reasonably expect. It's been a long time since anyone tried to kill him. You know, at least at least a month, <laughs> several weeks since anyone tried to kill him. <laughs> it's been like three spans, so. right? You, you you know, you get off your game after a few days. And again, the effects, you know, were so slow and kind of strange in coming. If he'd started to feel sick or anything like that, you know, no, I mean Ambrose got him good. Oh yeah, he did. So here, so that leads me to the other comment that I wrote down here for this chapter. So in the I guess it's in, yeah, in the end of the last book, Quoth says that the next time Ambrose would strike, I would have to leave the university. Is that what it said? Or did he say eventually? I'm pretty sure it said the next time. I think, I think it said the next time. I felt like it said eventually. We could probably solve it by looking it up but well we let's put a pin in that yeah we'll put a pin in that and, and come back to it i i felt like you said the next time which if that were the case that does not appear to be what's happening here but anyway we can move on so chapter eight. Oh wait i had one oh, more thing about chapter sorry. seven and that is that for my birthday i want a t-shirt that says under the influence of unbound principles <laughs> with an arrow pointing at my head that's awesome we can make that happen <laughs> All right, chapter eight is called Questions. It should be called Emotional Hangover. It should. <laughs> yes, and this, again, I love this chapter, too. Um, the, oh, yeah, yeah, All yeah. the interactions with Elodin, and so so Kvothe wakes up. That plumb bob really messed him up. He spends a couple days sulking. He heads heads to his admissions, but he runs into Elodin. It starts trying to, and Elodin is just amazing. And I'm, I'm just, I almost wish we hadn't done the dream casting um, a couple of weeks ago because now that I have David Tennant in my mind as Elodin, if anyone else plays him, I don't know if I'm going to be okay. Today was you the know? first day that I really thought of Elodin as David Tennant because David Tennant can do likeish, likable boyish asshole all at the same time like his 10th doctor just 
was very Elodin-ish to me. Yeah, agreed. You know, he's kind of a dick sometimes, but, mm-hmm. you know, you just still kind of liked him. And he had a dark, like a dark side to him. So, and I think, I just think David Tennant can pull it off. But this whole scene, especially where he, can I ask you a question? I doubt any power known to man will stop you. <laughs> it seems, statistically, it's, it seems likely. Seems likely. <laughs> and he goes in and just master him. You get to see what a, just what a get this guy is. Just a, just a dick. He's a dick to everyone. You know, mm-hmm. he's a dick yeah. to Eladin, which is crazy because all of the other masters have a healthy fear of Eladin. They don't quite get him and they may push him to the side a little bit, but they all acknowledge that he has a power that they do not have, yeah. nor do they understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's mm-hmm. definitely a sense that they're uncomfortable around him. Master Hem just is like, whatever, half wit, half wit <laughs> and quarter wit. Yeah, this hallways and their form and function. Yeah, sends you back to the rookery, you know. And he's racist. I mean, he's just the worst. He is the worst. Pretty much the worst. Well, and he's, I mean, he's kind of a one note character. Yeah, you know. But every every book, I don't care who you are, has one note characters. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's one of them. My favorite part of it is when you know once again. Quoth feels as though he has talked his way into <laughs> Elodin giving him another shot. Uh-huh. You know, so he's asking Elodin, why won't you train me? Well, you're you're too clever. Mm-hmm. You're too clever for your own good. And then he and then he comes to to Hem's door and says, All right, fine. <laughs> show me show me your worth teaching. Here's a problem. I can't seem to get past this door. You know, and Quoth just Okay, Spike, you know, <laughs> you know, sticks his tongue out, pulls out his, you know, pulls out his lock picks and three seconds later, he's in the door. And then Elodin just looks at him and says, clever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. <laughs> like, you're so clever that you didn't even ask why. Right. And then he's peppering him with questions and he keeps going, nope, not even close to the right question. Yeah, wrong question. Wrong question. <laughs> yeah. Because the right question would be... Whose rooms Whose are room these? Whose room is this? <laughs> and so, Quoth, this, this definitely humbling moment when Quoth realizes what he has done, and he's just like, oh, God. We're burning down Hem's room. What are you doing? <laughs> it's just, it's very satisfying. And oh, yeah. Hilarious. It is hilarious, um, yeah. But he still doesn't get it. And that line that kind of closes out the chapter where um, Quoth, so even after all this, Quoth is still like pushing. He's like, why won't you just come up? I know. Okay. So whatever. I made a mistake. But why won't you teach me? And Elodin says, what makes you think I'm not trying to teach you other than the fact that you refuse to learn? Yeah. Well, And this is another one of those areas where, as we said, this is kind of the sour grapes part of Quoth. This is part of his personality that he he doesn't get it. He can't control it. It's not, you know, it's not clear cut. It's not black and white. It's not something you can measure. And so, therefore, he just turns his back on it. Right. So, therefore, it's just, well, you're he's crazy. I'll just disregard everything he has to just say. Just dismiss him. Yeah. Yep. And then the other thing I like that Elodin said, uh, a very obvious line, but he says, Doors are locked for a reason, mm-hmm. you know. Doors that are locked are for people, or uh, so people are supposed to stay out for a reason, mm-hmm. you know. And that just spoke to me, you know, beyond what, you know, beyond what we're looking at here with him, you know. It speaks to me about like the four corners door. Yes, there's a lot of unopenable doors. You mm-hmm. know, we have the thrice locked chest in Quill's room. Doors and locked are are kind of you know that's a theme. The third book is called Doors of Stone. Don't Ooh. know what that means, but there's a door there somewhere. Well, that's where Lauren resides in the Doors of Stone constantly, all the time. <laughs> well, and you know, in the in the next chapter, a civil tongue, um, Eladin showed a very interesting. Oh gosh, I don't even know what the word. It's not a foreshadowing. It's not premonition or prescience because it's something that 
happened before. I am making zero sense. I'm sorry. Let me just put it out there. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. Come, on, come around to it. Come on. <laughs> Keep talking. One of the things I noticed this time through that I have never noticed before is that Elodin's question to Quoth is, I have five spades in my hand and hold on. Five spades in my hand, three spades have been played. How many spades? Okay. If you go back to page 58, where he is playing cards with Manette in chapter, that first chapter yeah, yeah, yeah. six. Okay. And I'm going to read the paragraph to you. Manette glared at me while he gathered his cards. Here's a primer for admissions. He held up his hand, three fingers spearing angrily into the air. Let's say you have three spades in your hand. There have been five spades laid down. How many spades is that total? Wow. It's the same. It's the same question. Damn. I don't think that's a coincidence. No, it's definitely not a coincidence. Isn't that crazy? No, I did not. Of course, I did not catch that I at all. I didn't catch it the first couple times I read it, but wow. this time through, I was like, oh, they both talk about spades. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's the exact same wording and everything that wow. Aladdin puts out there. So there's definitely, I like all the hints as to Aladdin's power. Yeah, um, now I'm starting to freak out a little bit. Right. <laughs> Does right? he see me naked when I get changed? <laughs> Chad's going to become a never nude. <laughs> Good reference. I like it. But um, so we had, you know, the scene in the hallway um, in the last chapter where he looks into both eyes and it seems like I can just picture this cinematically, too, where it seems like the whole room gets dark. Yeah, He's like in a yeah, tunnel. Yeah. They're in this weird like mind meld thing. Mm -hmm. And um. And then in this scene, he's, you know, well, he's blatantly thumbing his nose, but, but then the he process, just throws out yeah. what seems like a random question, but, and even Quilt doesn't pick up on it. He just thinks it's random too, but I don't think it was. No, I think he not. has a weird, like, mind reading kind of thing. Who knows? But we know. And then when he or speaks. he was shapeshifted into Manette. <laughs> that would be a twist. I don't think that's what happened. That would mean Elodin was hitting on Marie. But I got her. I got a roll. I got a roll of tin foil right here in my left hip <laughs> I've pocket. I've never heard that theory before. <laughs> uh, but then when he, um, you know, and and the the other masters are exasperated at him, and he's questioned about spades, and and he says, "What?" He said, "Do you want me to ask him a question that only a namer can answer?" And then when he speaks, it does the same thing. He says, "Voice makes it sound like." Like all the air has been sucked out of the room. Yeah, he fills the room with his voice, yeah. So even when he's not, so we know that the namers can do things, um, even just outside of calling an element. Mm -hmm. There's, Elodin has got some real powerful magic going yeah. on that even the other masters are a little bit afraid of. It's a good use of thaumaturgy. Thaumaturgy. I like that word. Yeah. It's a good word. The, um, the other thing I noticed is that when he... When he has that little episode, all right, fine. Do you want me to ask him a question only a namer would know? Right. The question he asks him is, once again, another reference to the moon. Right. So another one we got to put a pin in and and track, you know, build some sort of infographic around all the moon references. There are a lot of moon references. And the fact that he asks, where does the moon go when it is no longer in our sky? And I don't think that that's just, I don't think anything Elodin says is just nonsense. I think it's going to be relevant at some point. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So at the end of this is where Heme, you know, calls him, Hem, sorry, calls him Ravel and quote blows up at him. He has another plumb bob moment. Right. But he manages to talk his way around it. And that was a very satisfying moment, even though it's, again, someone mistreating him, that like standoff finally kind of happened and... You know, the fact that Hem also got smacked down, I found was satisfying. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. And so now we're into chapter 10. Um, and Called is this being treasured. Mm -hmm. And so quotes tuition is set at nine and a half talents, which is almost four, about three and a half talents more than quote actually has at the moment. So um, he goes in here, he goes to see Denna and then he goes to see Debbie and that is sort of the end of the um, of the this section that we read here. So right. we'll talk in more detail. I just want to give a quick chapter synopsis. Nice synopsis. Thank you. I like it. Quality. So um, 
So yeah, uh, Quoth goes to see Denna. She's still hot. You know, lots of descriptions of her hotness. She's a well-kept woman. She is. She is. She's an uncut gem. (laughs) And he's the jeweler. And he wants to drill her or something. uh Whatever jewelers do. Mm -hmm. He's all swoony. Yeah, yeah. And she, you know, they, they, they have one of those staring into each other's eyes moment. And he just, you know, this this would have been the fourth or fifth time that he, you know, should have gone in for a kiss, but he won't. Right. You know, he won't. He'll just stand there with his hands, you know, uh, and his tongue sticking out of his face. And, um, you know, they they talk for a while. And I, I would I would say com- in comparison to everything else we've read in these in these five chapters. Yeah, this was definitely the least exciting part of it, but it wasn't. It wasn't boring. One thing that stuck out to me, and we talked about this at the the wrap up for the last book, we talked about the concept of a knack. Yeah, and she mentions that. Yeah, and uh, my, one of my theories is that Denna has a knack because she seems to have some kind of almost supernatural attraction to to certain people. Certain people, yeah. And so she says this um, in this chapter. Kel- Kellen says, "I have a bit of a knack yeah. for for music." Mm-hmm. So. We'll see where that we'll see where that goes, goes if it goes anywhere at all. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything I mean else that's really of relevance in there. They kind of go back and forth. It's got some character stuff. She's not. She's being kept, but she's not happy. She's not happy you know? about it. Yeah, she's got you know just a real kind of natural talent for for music that we talked about, right. and she's learning extremely quickly. And uh, yeah, I don't. And that's another thing that makes me frustrated about this character. Like, I get that as a woman, she's at more of a disadvantage than Kvothe. But she is obviously extremely intelligent, capable of scrounging up some money. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's obviously wise in the ways of the world, has this talent musically. Okay, but she still just kind of floats from thing to thing. She she starts doing something and then she goes to something else. Like she gets a little bit good at an instrument. Oh, now she's playing another instrument. Yeah. Like I feel like why is why is she not at the university? Like what? Yeah, I don't know. You know that just frustrates me about her. Well, you I know? think I think so much of our issues with Denna relate to just not knowing. Right. You know, we just simply don't know. And that's by design. So I'm trying not to to be baited by this author. True. I mean, she just, it just, it frustrates me that she's always just kind of like, like bouncing from thing to thing. But she obviously has a lot of intelligence, a lot of natural talent that if she just like, and I guess we've all known that person. And sometimes we've been that person that if they just knuckled down and did something. Well, one, you know. one thing I would say is that when Quoth went in and he went to the admissions for the very first time, they made a point of saying, uh, this is for continuing your education, not starting your education. And he had the fortune of training with an archivist right. and a lawyer and all these other people that, you know, it doesn't sound as though Denna had that opportunity. Well, that's true. So while she might have that natural intelligence and, you know, she may, I don't think she's as intelligent as Quoth is, but um, but we don't really know. I mean, but she certainly hasn't had the opportunities he's, he's, he's had to, to be exposed to those sort of things and to take the time to learn them. So she wouldn't she wouldn't be able to walk into the university and get in. You know what? That's a really good point. And I imagine most of the people at the university were taught by tutors that their parents paid for when they were young. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and they not probably, a whole lot of like blue collar. No. And they probably did that and studied with those private instructors for years. Right. You know, because, you know, Quoth managed to learn the majority of what he learned in about a year. Right. Which, you know, just speaks to the degree to which this kid is academically off the charts. Right. But, you know, still an idiot. Still an idiot. Wisdom versus knowledge. Yep. Uh, and so we wrap that scene up and, and there's no point in talking about it any longer. Quoth, you know, doesn't have enough money to get into the to his next term. So he's got to do what he's got to do. He's got to go see Debbie. He's got to right. go, go drop that blood in the bottle. Right. 
And this has another one. This chapter has another one of my favorite lines in the book, probably when they're going back and forth. And and Quoth is so Debbie has changed the terms of her her loan agreements. Yeah. And now she won't loan him any less than six talents mm-hmm. at fifty percent interest. And he's like, Oh, and he he's trying to get her to change her mind and they're going back and forth and and he says, Okay, fine, you win and she says, Oh, I can only win if we were both actually playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um so he wants to borrow four. She says, no, I'll have to borrow six. They go back and forth and they're about to sit down and seal the deal. And she says, unless mm-hmm. you're willing to get me into the archives and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you 10. And then before he, you know, he's like, eh, I'll pay, I'll pay you 20, you know, mm-hmm. I'll pay you 40 and I'll, and I'll sleep, sleep with you. Man, I'll, I'll suck your dick. <laughs> and Quoth does not and do it all for the nookie. that's how we earn our explicit tag. He does not do it all for the nookie. No. He does not. No, he doesn't. He does. Well, he doesn't do it because he doesn't want to portray Ari. Right. And, and, again, and once again, the best part of his character comes out in, relation, in, in this relationship with yeah. her. But Debbie really, really... Really wants to get into she the archives. She wants to get in there. Debbie, who is played by Christina Hendricks. No. No. Take that back. I don't. Take it back. It's not I even. I don't take it back. No. Kristen Bell or nobody. Unfortunately, it would have to be a young Christina Hendricks. Debbie is supposed to be older than Quoth, considerably. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. She was I she was, she was like 25. She's in her 20s. I mean, she's supposed to be in her mid yeah. mid to late 20s. She was expelled from the Arcanum years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always saw her as being played by someone a bit older. So Christina Hendricks. But no. I'm sorry. Well, she's also apparently a redhead. She's strawberry blonde, which is easy to fix. She's also supposed to be very, very petite. And I love Christina Hendricks, but she doesn't have the sass. I disagree. Did you watch Firefly? I did. She had some sass, but Kristen Bell is just in another stratosphere when it comes to sass. I guess. She's off the sassometer. <laughs> Damn it. I was going to sign. I took your joke right out of your brain. Yes, you did. I'm sorry. Right out of my brain. <laughs> We've been together too long. That's fine. That's completely <laughs> fine. So, and th- and that's where it ends. That's where this section ends. So I have one other like interesting thing that I picked up. Please. Well, not that I picked up here, but I, that got me thinking in this chapter about what we talked about before about money in this universe and how much things cost and the value of different things. So he says in this chapter that for four talents that he could live for a year. Yeah. So when you talk about a 20 talent loot, that's pretty expensive. Yeah. I think he said he spent nine or talents nine talents on the loot. On the loot. But so, still, I mean, if that's twice what now his standard of living is considerably lower. Yeah. Than so a you lot of figure people's, but. in today's world, what would you figure the very lowest bare minimum single man could live on? For a year? For a year. Uh, I mean, if you're super frugal, and he is super frugal. Right. $15,000? So I was I was thinking, yeah, probably around $20,000, maybe. Mm. I don't know, as a, just a basis for comparison. So that's a $30,000 loot? <laughs> but then they say that, that you could spend up to 50 talents on a loot. That is not unheard of. I mean, the most I've ever heard of a guitar going for is like a quarter of a million dollars, but it was like, you know, one of, I think it was like one of like the original, like Les Paul models, you know, like. But what about other stringed instruments? Oh, I know know violins have gone for almost a million dollars or something like that. So, so anyway, again, it's the, it's the wide range. So we know that. That Quoth says that he could live for a year on four talents. So his tuition for a two month, two months at school is over nine and a half talents. Yeah. So, and then he mentions later. So then I'm like, well, how many, how many months are in it? We assume that 12 months are a year, but that might not be no, the case No, I think the terms here. are only two months. The terms are two months, but we don't know how many months are in a year. Oh, well, I guess. Um, yeah. So he says that 20 talents when she offers him 20 talents, he says, well, that means a half a year 
worry-free tuition. Hmm, So maybe the months are a little bit longer. Yeah, so maybe it's eight months in a year or something something like like that. that. Mm -hmm. We could probably someone smart has already figured that out. I'm sure they have. And on you know the interwebs. What? We don't need we don't need to do it because they've already done it. Right. That's the way science works. That is the way science works. Science is all about laziness. Everyone knows that. It's about efficiency. Let's <laughs> not call it laziness. Oh goodness. So no, that's a good that's a good point. And you know, I don't want to get too bogged down into it because unless somebody's going to pay me some talents but it's it's nice to get that basis for comparison no it is yeah well it it was shocking i mean to me that doesn't stack up because a pair of shoes was a talent you know and you know you can't tell me that a a, a sturdy pair of shoes is like you know two thousand dollars like it just doesn't it doesn't add up but that's assuming that, you know, the kind of the ratios and relative expenses would would stay in line. But that still seems strange to me, you know. Well, and maybe there are different kinds of talents. I mean, certainly we, we know that certain money from certain countries is worth more than others. Yeah, yeah. You know, they talked about Keldish silver being worth more than, mm-hmm. Keldish silver talent being worth more than well, and he, Commonwealth you know, money. You know, and he's talking, he's also kind of got his room and board supplied. Right. So maybe he means by four talents he could live for That'd a year. spending money. Like That's replaces, like, replaces loot strings in his shoes. Right. You know, which hell, he didn't need shoes. We've been through this. Right. You know, <laughs> you know so anyway, uh, anything else about the chapters? No. No, no okay. I'm looking forward to next week, too. As am I. Next couple I'm of looking weeks. forward to every week. Aw. Every week. Until we get to the end of this book, and then we have to change direction. We got some time. We got some time. We'll, cut, we'll have a We're, plan between now and it's then. It's a bit, bit slower paced through this one, but there's a lot more to talk about. So That's good. That's good. So we did have one one interaction from a listener, and that was from Justin Berger. Did I say that right? Did I make sure I got the name right? I don't know. Look at it again. I'm, go- I'm going on to. On your notes. I, I know his wanna... name's Justin. Hi, Justin. Yeah, that's correct. And he actually said that the loot joke that we opened up the the episode with is one of his favorite lines from the whole book as well. <laughs> it's so great. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. Oh, it's a good thing I'm taking. <laughs> you have enough dumb jokes to keep me happy that i do i have plenty of them that's for sure for sure uh and then a couple of uh items of fandom news and, and you know what this whole th- this whole section is gonna actually maybe potentially become a little bit more interesting when we're there aren't we're not three weeks ahead of actually releasing releasing things but some interesting stuff i did find uh today on the internet well, i want to hear it so the first is that Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat are making a Dracula series. I saw that. Did you see that? I did. I don't know. Moff- Stephen Moffat, I have loved some stuff he's done. I've hated some stuff he's done. So yeah. we'll see. Um, and vampires are, you know, I don't know. They might. It might be time for them to come back around. Yeah, they were played out for a while, but lately it's been a lot of zombies. So maybe it's time for vampires to come back to have a resurgence. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Along that same vein, Netflix is not far from releasing a Netflix original series based on the old video game Castlevania. I did not ever play that because I had a sheltered childhood without video games. <laughs> That's true. You did. I, I did play the old Castlevania game, and it was a fun Nintendo game, but it wasn't something to base a series off of. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they have hired good writers, and most of the Netflix originals are pretty good. I love Kimmy Schmidt. I know. Isn't it great? Yeah. yeah. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt has been hilarious this season. Shows, yeah. Yeah, a lot of faith in in what Netflix tends to to put out. So I'm sure it'll be at least halfway decent. Uh, but that was another one that seemed weird to me, just because. I guess my initial complaint is that there's no there's no story there. There's no there's really nothing to it. But on the other hand, I guess you could look at it like it's a blank slate. Uh, but it's not a particularly original concept either. So we'll, we'll see what they do with it. 
I guess we will. We will. We will have to find out. All right. So anything else? I got nothing. Where can they find us? Oh. <laughs> Is that ever going to stop being funny? To me, no. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> Not at all. So you can find us on the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. That's our website. We have stuff up there now. There's stuff. There is stuff, yeah, and there'll be there'll be more stuff. So I just drew another cartoon. Yay! It'll be a couple weeks before it comes out. Yes, you can't you can't release it until we until it's no longer a spoiler. I know. For me. For you, it, there is a spoiler in the cartoon. Yeah, that's why you can't release yeah. it. Yeah, and you can also find us on at the D N D podcast on Twitter and the Duke and Duchess on Facebook, and we're getting we're getting. Some interaction on both those platforms. Definitely more mm-hmm. on Twitter, which doesn't really surprise me. Twitter peeps are awesome. They are. Well, Facebook, it's so much harder. Like Facebook, the way it's put together, they really want to restrict pages and business pages and things like that from being able to reach a wider audience unless you pay them the money to reach a wider audience. Yeah. So, you know, it's... Facebook's not really a great avenue. People have to kind of actively look for you on Facebook. They're right. not they're not really going to stumble upon you and Facebook makes it difficult to interact with people through your page unless those pe- people have already found you or come looking for you, which Twitter's not that same way. So, but I really don't need to give everybody a lecture on social media. Uh so let's wrap this puppy up. Wrap it up. I'm What are we going to talk about again next episode? Is 11 through 19? Yes, 11 through 19. It's 55 pages. Going to make it happen. Yes. You can do it. Exciting. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening. And good night. Good night. Good night.